It's uh, once again a privilege for me to be here this morning. It's very humbling for me to come here um, for many reasons. And uh, one of them is just realizing once again this morning as we were praying with uh, uh, some leaders of your church that we are truly nothing, <laughs> that we are truly nothing. We are so weak and unable to do uh, anything. And this morning, again, we, we come in this place with great expect- expectation that the Lord will work in this place, that we are not alone. This morning, one of the, the things I love to remember each time I come to church, either to preach or to sit and listen and worship, is to remember that God is alive. Amen? God is alive. He's not dead. He's not far away. He's with us. And He's with us right here in this place, in this very moment. And the only uh, person that can uh, change uh, everything in this place, that can really make a difference is Jesus, only Jesus. So would you please uh, take some time to pray with me as we begin before opening the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful so thankful to be in this place and, and just for life, to be alive this morning and to be able to come and worship you. Father, thank you for this promise that I am not alone. You said in Matthew 28, I will be with you till the end. And you are with me this morning. You are with us. Father, once again, I ask you, look at this church this morning. Look at, look at Arvest Ottawa. Look at everyone that they are sitting in this place. They came here not to see a man, but to see God. They came here to see and to meet you. Father, please meet them. We ask for your Holy Spirit right now to move, to breathe on your word, to change lives in this place, to bring some people from darkness to light, from death to life. Father, and to encourage your children in this place. Father, I pray that you will bathe us in your love, that you, we will know that you are the God of love, the God that is loving, that is close to his people. You are here. We want to remember that. You are alive and you are working in our lives. So, Father, please make us resemble a little bit more like Jesus Christ after today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can open your Bible in the book of 1 John chapter 4 and um, we'll continue this series that you have begun uh, many weeks ago. Um, and it's uh, the second time I come to uh, enter into this series and uh, it's a real privilege for me. Uh, John is uh, one of my favorite authors in the Bible. He's, he's so, uh, like me, emotional and, and his eyes on the Lord is talking about Jesus and it's always like so beautiful and kind of poetic sometimes and, and I love how he writes. And uh, we'll look at verse 13 to uh, 21 in chapter 4 this morning, but um, just let me uh, begin by saying thank you to, to you. Thank you to you for praying for the church plan in Quebec. We are so uh, encouraged to see what the Lord is doing in this place. I told you that last time, but it's still true. Pastor Ray, your pastor, is uh, often calling us, encouraging us, uh, and giving us some uh, tricks that he learned through, the, uh, through this church plant. Um, know that you are deeply loved in Quebec. 
You're deeply loved by our core group and we pray for you. Even if we are a small group, we are uh, praying for you and for the Lord to move in this place. And he is uh, moving, as we can see uh, this morning. Uh, I'm glad to tell you that we will begin our first um, yeah, I will tell you, uh, there's a Bible shaking in the back. You need to raise your hand if you want a Bible before I forget. If you want a Bible and don't have it, just raise your hand and you will receive one. Uh, we'll begin next Friday, the very first Discover Doxa. So the very first night on the South Shore of Montreal where people will come and hear our hearts for the province and uh, the vision that we have for uh, Eglise Doxa. So please be, be in prayer for us. Be in prayer with us for God to bring the right people in these meetings and that the Lord will call the people with the same heart to join our core group and build uh, this church. We know that it's Jesus that is building his church. And uh, I was talking with uh, Curtis this morning and I asked, how was it in the beginning? He said, I don't know. People just begin to come. It's like uh, no man can take credit for God's work. It's It's him. God is building this church, and we pray that He will do that in Quebec. So please be in prayer for us. Maybe set an alarm on your, on your uh, cell phone, on your clock, to pray Friday, next Friday at 7. Um, so let's dive right in the Word of God this morning. Verse 13 to 21. And um, what I want to do this morning is just take you to uh, a little visit to the doctor. <laughs> you know, when we read the letter of John... Uh, as you come to know, maybe after uh, we are at the end of chapter 4. So you notice that John is a little bit, uh, when you read him, it's, it's a little bit like when you go and visit your doctor. You know, you can say you're healthy, you can say everything is fine. But when you go to the doctor and pass some tests, after a while he can point you to some things in your life. Or maybe you leave there and say, wow, praise God, I thought I was healthy and I'm pretty healthy. I went to, uh, I noticed that my vision was uh, decreasing uh, some years ago, so I went to the eye doctor, I don't know the English word, and I arrived there, and after uh, laughing at me because I didn't see the number in the little colorblind test, she, she told me, you're deaf then, I was, wow, I thought I was, uh, I was having a problem with my vision, but it's still so almost perfect, it's encouraging, and when you read John, it's a little bit like that. You, you read the word of God, and John is doing that from chapter 1 to chapter 5, encouraging the church, encouraging the believer, and setting the assurance like in, in, very strongly, saying, you are in the faith if, and then he gave some proof. And you saw the proof of being in the light and not in the darkness. You saw the proof of uh, following his command, of walking in, in obedience to the Lord and all of this. And this morning we'll see at the test of love. So uh, we want to anchor our faith in the love of God. But sometimes also when we go to the doctor, we leave there uh, sad. And there's many people uh, that can claim to have faith in Jesus Christ or to, to say that they are in the faith. And John uh, Warren is church about that also, saying, you know, it's not all people that say they are Christian that are really. And he gave some tests to know that too. So this letter gave light into our heart, help us to discern what's in, inside of ourselves, but also give us discernment to know if uh, just proclaiming to be a Christian is true or if some tests are available to know if you are truly a child of God. And today we want to see about the amazing love of God and we sang about that and, and if you uh, didn't heard about the gospel before coming in this place you already heard it in the songs and I praise God for that good good songs glorifying God so verse 13 to 16 it says 
By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. I love this first statement by John. I love this because he's saying something I, I think is really funny. He says, do you want to know? How do you know that, that God abides in you and you abide in him? And the answer is really simple. God abides in you. Isn't what he says? He says, you want to know if God abides in you? We know because we have his spirit in us. So it's kind of the, the same answer. Is God abiding in you? Yes, his spirit is in us. So how do we know that we are connected to him and not apart from him? How do we know that we are a truly a Christian, a true branch connected to the vine? How do we know that we are truly abiding in him? Because he has given us of his spirit. The beginning in verse 13. And it seems special, but in fact, it's the plain truth. And it's something that we need to understand as Christian, that we need to have that Holy Spirit in us that is confirming to us that we are children of God. And he's starting right with that, but it's a vital truth to grasp. Notice the, the flow of thought of this passage. John, John begins by talking about the Holy Spirit as the confirmation of our union with God. And the following sentence in verse 14, he talks about the factual truth that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So why is he doing that? He, he, after that, he will uh, call his people to understand whoever confesses that Jesus is the Lord, is the Son of God, uh, abides in God and God in him. But he starts by saying, we know that we abide in him and he in us if we have his spirit. And we know that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. It's because those two things are inseparable. Those two things are so important in the Christian faith. Remember that John wrote his letter in big part to give many proof of assurance of salvation. And we see under this first point, I call this first point, just abide in his proven love. From verse 3 to 16, we will see that God has proven his love to his people. And here we have three things in this text. The Spirit's testimony, the Apostle's testimony, and the confession of faith of this testimony. Christian certainty rests on this combination, always on this combination of objective and subjective, of the historical and experiential, of the Son's mission and the Spirit's testimony. So God has provided a twofold testimony to Christ, that of the apostle, the word of God, the testimony. He said, we know that the Father has sent the Son of God, and that of the Holy Spirit in us, confirming that this testimony is true. It seems really simple, But that's a reason why we have so many people that read the Bible and says, I have read this whole book and they're still not Christian. And they still don't have saving faith. Why? Because they had the, the historical only. They had they the external testimony only. They heard about the word of God. They heard about the gospel. But they never had a Holy Spirit confirmation in their heart. And, and if you think about that, maybe your own conversion experience is a proof of that. I remember my own conversion. I heard the gospel for months before, be, be, before being saved and before having my heart changed. I went to church for months hearing the gospel, hearing about Jesus. I knew 
in my mind what Jesus did on the cross. But I was not a Christian yet until one day I was sitting in a little office working in my school stuff. And then it was very dramatic, but the, the sun just shined through the window on my Bible on the desk. And I just grabbed it and began to read. You know, I was a very uh, new to all this Bible thing. I, I cut the Bible in half and followed Psalm 51. Don't do that. It's not, God don't talk like that. Usually he study the Bible. Uh, but I, I just, God used that. I began to read through Psalm 51. And God changed my heart. At this very moment, the Holy Spirit came and confirmed to my heart that Jesus has paid for my sin on the cross. Something happened on this moment. I heard the gospel, but then the Holy Spirit confirmed the truth of the gospel to my heart. I began to, to cry, to cry, and I was not a crier, but since I'm a Christian, I always, always cry. And I was crying this, this day. I was like... God, is this really the truth? You save me, you forgive my sin, you give me new life. Something happened. The Holy Spirit happened. And it's the same thing for every Christian, except with variation uh, according to your conversion. Not everybody will be uh, experience that so dramatically. Uh, some of you will be more quiet. Some of you will be uh, more dramatic than that. But God save us by by the external testimony, we have the word of God, we hear the truth, we know what Jesus did on the cross, then the Holy Spirit confirms that to our heart. And it's so important. And after that, John continues by talking about the confession of faith. John says that him and the other apostles believed that Jesus is the Savior of the world and preached it. In verse 14, he says, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God... God abides in him. So he says, we have seen and we have confessed that Jesus is the son of God. We did that. John gave the testimony of him and the other apostle. But he continued in verse 15 by pointing back to his readers saying, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, not simply a man. Jesus was not simply a good teacher. He was not simply a prophet, but he was the very son of God, God in the flesh. Again, if someone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, he abides in God and God in him. And what he's saying here, the, 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 the verb tense here, means a public declaration of his faith. Not in the present, not in the future, but something that happened already. A moment, a precise moment when you confess that you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior. And maybe if you take that to today, we will say that it happened at uh, your baptism. Today in the church, it happened officially at your baptism when we confess in front of the whole church publicly that we want to follow Jesus with all our heart, that we are dependent upon him. We, we confess our, our, our devotion to Jesus Christ. And I say officially because uh, most of the time uh, people confess, and, and may, you are probably a good proof of that, we confess that Jesus is our Savior to people around us before our baptism. But we do that officially at baptism. And here we see like three so important things uh, for the church and for the Christian community. One, the testimony of the word of God. We want to preach the word of God in the church. John says that he believed that. We know that we abide in him because we know the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And we confess that truth. We want to preach the word of God. And I praise God for this church where the word of God is lifted high. And is honored. And the word of God is preached in this church. 
And there's also the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you this. There will not be a testimony of the Holy Spirit if there's not the Word of God. There must be the Word of God that is preached. You must have the Word of God that the Holy Spirit will use. In Ephesians 6, the Holy Spirit is said to uh, use the Word of God as His sword. It's the sword of the Holy Spirit. And when you preach the Word of God, the Holy Spirit takes it and confirms this to our heart. So we see those three things. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit that confirms the Word of God in our heart. And the confession of this faith in public. And it must stay at the center of the church. We must be in a church that is putting emphasis on these three things. And if, if you ever change of church, if you ever go to another church, you need to find a church that put emphasis on the word of God, that put emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit. Because it, there's no man that will be able to change the heart of anyone ever. That's why we pray. God change hearts do something and christian john is saying uh, faith is not silent we cannot say that we have faith and stay silent there's a confession of faith that must take place at some point and maybe some of us in this place this morning can be uh, reproved by that it is not normal for a child of god to keep his faith for himself if we believe in Jesus Christ, we will declare it. We will confess our faith. We will share our faith with other people. And John insists on that. But he follow in verse 16. By saying, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So once again, affirming the authenticity of his reader's faith. By saying that we know, we know we abide in God. We know we abide in God because we have come to know and to believe. Know and to believe the love of God. And what is he talking about here? God is love. The Holy Spirit is God in you. And his presence in you is making love abound in your life. You cannot have the Holy Spirit living in you. The God of love abiding in you and not being a loving person. You cannot be a person that is not living, abounding in love if you have the Holy Spirit of God, that is love abiding in you. Love for God first, but for others also. We'll see that in verse 19 to 21. But here he says, you want to know if God is living in you? Is your life characterized by love? Is your life characterized by love? Because God is love, and this love cannot be hidden. If you have to write down only one thing this morning, it must be this. As a spirit-filled Christian, I must be characterized by love. As a spirit-filled Christian, I must be characterized by love. And here he's talking about the fact that he know and believe the love of God. And what he's talking about here, he's talking about the manifested love of God. How? Through Jesus. When he says that Jesus is the, the Savior of the world, and that we came to know and we confess that Jesus is the Son of God, he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the fact that Jesus came into this world to save us from our sins. And we have come to know and to believe this love. And because of that, if you came to know and to believe that God loves you through his son by sending him to save you, then you can be sure that you abide in God and God in you. Or to put it another way, you can be sure that you are saved in him. Knowing and believing it's one thing, uh, John Piper asked this question once uh, about our natural life. He said, how do you know that you are alive? 
Like, like physically. How do you know that you are alive? And he says, he does that. <sighs> I know that I'm alive because I'm breathing. I know that I'm alive because I'm breathing. That's as simple as that. But he asks after that, how do you know that you are alive spiritually? And he says, you know that you are alive spiritually because I love God. Do you love God? Like for real, do you love God? Do you come to church and just know things in your mind? You come to church and just say, yeah, this book is very interesting. It's a good guide to know how to live my life. I love to take this and to teach my children in the ways of the Lord because it's a good thing. They won't go into the bad thing, but they will stay in, in a good moral kind of life. Why do you take this book and when you read this book, you understand that God loves you and your heart is filled with love for him. You know that you're saved when you begin to love God. For many in this place this morning, I can ask and read this passage as a question. Have you come? Have you come to know and to believe the love of God? Have you come to know and to believe the proven love of God? God has proven his love by sending his son to be the savior of the world. He proved his love for you by sacrificing his only begotten son in your place. He died for your sin that, on that cursed cross and, and that for justify for justifying you. He justified you. He gave you his righteousness. He took your sin upon himself and died on this cross. The king of glory was spitting, spitting on. He gave up his life. He died for your sin. For you, that you may live forever with him. Jesus took our place on that cross and, and tell me who loved you like this. There's no greater love than this. Jesus left his throne, came on this hurt, and came to save us from our sin, to take all of our sin on himself. God has proven his love, and Paul says about the same thing in Romans 5, verse 6 to 8. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For the ungodly, not for the godly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one will dare even to die. But God shows his love. God has not remained hidden. And God's love has not remained far and not seen from us. God shows his love. He said God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's no greater love than that. And even Jesus said that there's no greater love. In John 15, 13, he says, A greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. There's no greater love than this. So let me ask you this morning, have you come to know and to believe the proven love of God? Have you come to know and to believe the proven love of God? After this morning, you will leave this place and you won't be able to say you didn't know. You heard the fact this morning. You heard what Jesus did on the cross to save you. You heard how great the love of God is towards you. You heard that God loved you so much that he gave his only son to take your place on the cross. Not the place of a righteous person. The place of a sinner. The safe of an ungodly. And he died for your sin. After today you cannot say that you don't know in your mind what a great love God has shown you. But do you believe this? And as I'm talking, I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to come. 
and to change hearts in this place. Maybe you heard the gospel many times. Maybe you heard the love that God has for you. Maybe you heard what Jesus did on the cross. But still, it never happened that the Holy Spirit came and changed your heart. And I'm praying, Holy Spirit, change lives in this place this morning. Change heart. Make your gospel to be known in the heart of individuals in this place. Of people that, that know in their mind but don't know you in their heart. Please change heart. Confirm your word into the heart of many people. Bring people from death to life. Because only he can. Only he can. So we have the testimony of the Holy Spirit in us. And as a spirit-filled Christian, we must be characterized by love. And notice that um, knowing and believing and loving God are not the conditions to fulfill in order for God to abide in us, but the proof that he is abiding in us. There are the evidences. John, in, in the beginning of verse 13, if you look in your Bible, he does not say, by this we abide in him, but he says, by this we know that we abide in him. So it's not because you make all your effort to say, I will try to love God with all my heart. I will try to love God. I will try to abide in Him. No, it's not a way to abide. It's a proof that you abide in Him. So I say abide in Him. Abide in His proven love like it's an imperative. But in fact, abiding in God is, is like believing in God. You are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. But faith and belief in Jesus Christ is not just a, a one-moment thing that you did in the past. You cannot say, okay, when I was five, I, I believed in Jesus in, in Christian school. And I said, yes, Jesus is my Savior. I believed in Him, so I don't have to believe in Him no longer. But it's not like that. Believing is something continuous. You continue to believe in Jesus in your life. You continue to do effort to read the Bible, to nourish your faith, and to believe in Him. And abiding is the same thing. Abiding in Christ. Yes, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you abide in God. There's no doubt about that. There's no... Christian that are not abiding in Christ. But you need to nourish that. You need to read the word and to be in prayer and to be connected to your Lord. To continue abiding. A Christian that is abiding is continuously abiding in Christ. And that, brothers and sisters, we see that Jesus loved us so much. God has loved us so much that he made his son to die in our place. So abide in his proven love. He has proved it. The Holy Spirit confirmed it. And we are called to confess it. Um, and what is one of the most powerful impact of abiding in God's love? Let's look at verse 17 to 18. What is one of the most powerful impact of abiding in God's love? Verse 17 and 18, it says this. By this is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Isn't it a wonderful passage? A wonderful passage. There is no fear in love. But, but love casts out fear. It's powerful. The love of God is so powerful. So the, the second thing I want you to uh, note is be bold in His perfected love. The love of God is being perfected in us. That means His love is being complete, is being made complete in us. The love of God must complete His intended work in our lives. And how 
Do we know that this love is, 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 is um, completed, is work in us? It's like, again, the image of the doctor. How do we know? What is the second test? That, that we know that we abide in God and that this love is really in us. Here we have a clear explanation of how love for God and love from God impacts the way we relate to him. It says that it gives us confidence. And it casts out fear. We have so often a distorted understanding of a loving relationship. Because we experience in this world a lot of imperfect love relationship. But the love of God is perfect. It's trustworthy. It's unchangeable. He explained how we know that love has perfected or completed his work in us. He says in verse um, 17 that it gives us total confidence for the day of judgment. Complete confidence for the day of judgment. In verse 18 he says that, uh, that there is no fear in love, but love casts out fear. Why? Why does love cast out fear? He explains it. Because the fear he's talking about has to do with punishment. What kind of punishment? The punishment he just talked about. The punishment that will come on the day of judgment following the Lord's return. So no wonder that uh, when the love of God is completed in us, we don't have fear. We don't have, uh, we have confidence and we don't, do not fear the punishment of the judgment day. Because when we know that lo God loves us so much, when we know the love that God has manifested to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, when we know that we are forgiven in Christ because He's died on the cross in our place, we don't have anything to fear about the last judgment. Are we? Do, do we fear sometimes? Are we Christians that are sometimes full of doubt thinking, I don't know, you know, I know that Jesus died for me, I believe that, but what will happen on the last day? We are pushing that day so far. We don't want to meet the Lord because we're like, oh, but, but what happened if on that last day you reject me? What will happen? But John says, when the love of God has completed his work in your heart, you don't fear the punishment of the judgment. You don't fear that because you understand that the love of God is never changing. The word punishment is uh, that is written here is in the Greek Colossus, and it's used only one other time in the New Testament. Only one other time, and it's in Matthew 25, verse 46. When Jesus talked about the last day, when uh, the angels will uh, take the, the righteous and leave the, um, the unbelievers, and he says, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. That's the only other place where this word exactly uh, written like that is found in the New Testament. This punishment, it's talking about the last judgment. But as Christians, as believers, we don't have to fear that. John is not talking about, you know, the fear of the Lord. Some people would take this passage to, to say uh, the fear of the Lord is not a New Testament teaching. That's not true. The Apostle Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 7 um, verse 1. He, he talks about the fear of the Lord uh, as a good Thing. He says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So it's a good thing. John is not talking about the fear of God. He's talking about the fear of punishment. The fear of punishment, according to John, is a proof that you love, the love of God has not completed his work in you. Because the love of God assures us that we have no punishment to fear. The, simple, the answer is simple. It's Christ. We sang it this morning. Christ. Is the love of God perfected in you? 
You know, the way we act proves what we truly believe. And so often we prove that we don't believe that the love of God is trustworthy or that God loves us no matter what because of his son. How often do we have a bad week and then we have so much trouble coming back to the Lord in prayer? No, am I the only one who experienced that? We sin, we fell, we had a bad week, if we can call that this, or a bad day. And then we, we have so much difficulty, maybe because of our religious background, I don't know yours, but mine, push me to think like that sometimes. If I do good, then the Lord will love me. If I do bad, then the Lord will reject me. It's so wrong. It's so not biblical. It's more like a Santa Claus relationship. You good, I give you gift. And if you're not, you don't have anything. God is not like that. The love of God never change. God loves us. And if you believe in him, you have nothing to fear of judgment. Yes, we still repent and come to the Lord when we sin. But we know that he welcomes us. We know that he loves us still because he gave his son. What can he give more than his own son? Honestly. In Romans 5 verse 9, it's the following verse that we read before. Uh, Romans 5 verse 9, uh, Paul confirmed that. He says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. He's talking about the judgment, the punishment for sin. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So let me tell you this. Listen very uh, carefully now. If you are that kind of person that is always struggling with, if God, is God loving me or, or when I fail, is God rejecting me and all of this and doubting your own salvation, none of your sin is great enough to cancel his final sacrifice. None of it. Don't run from him each time you sin or each time you fail. Don't think he won't take you back. Listen, he took you. He took you knowing the worst of you. We read it just before. Why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took you. One, one uh, sentence, I think I heard Matt Chandler said that one time uh, as I was listening to him uh, preaching. He says, you are fully known, yet fully loved. Let me repeat this. It's so good to my own soul. I repeat that to myself often. You are fully known, yet fully loved. You don't have to gain the love of God. He knows every one of your sin. He knows every one of your dark thinking. Everything that you are doing or you plan to do, he knows all of that. Christ on the cross paid for your sin, past, present, and future. You have nothing of the punishment to fear. There's no rat left for the believer. Jesus drank it all on the cross. You know what it does when we don't believe that as a Christian? It's like saying that Jesus didn't accomplish the work that he said he accomplished. It's like saying he didn't really accomplish a final work. Like God needed our work to be able to love us or to keep us from his punishment. Like if the sacrifice of Jesus was not sufficient. That's not true. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And it was true. There's nothing more to add to his sacrifice if you believe in Christ Jesus, there's no punishment left for you. Nothing. And in verse 17, he says, As he is also, are we in this world? And it's just a confirmation of that. 
He's not talking about the fact that we are completely like him in our bodies or in our character yet. We are transformed from one degree of glory to another, but we are not like him totally yet. He's not talking uh, of our conduct. We are like him in some way in our conduct, but he's talking about our position before God. But our standing before God, we are like Jesus, blameless before God. It's a good place to say amen. If we believe in Christ Jesus, we are blameless before God. There's no punishment left for us to receive. In Christ, we are fully confident that we please him and that there's absolutely no right left for us. And that's why I love so much this song that we sing, this hymn, In Christ Alone. And we'll put the lyrics on the screen. And I just want to read the lyrics of this song with you. It's, 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 it's one of my favorite hymns. And it's so powerful and fitting with the text we have in front of us this morning. In Christ Alone. See, just... just Listen to this and and read the lyrics on the screen. It's so powerful because uh, we know that we don't have any punishment left for us. Why? Because of Christ, of Christ alone. And here he says, In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Listen to this. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I stand. Write it down somewhere. That's our second point. Be bold in his proven. Be bold in his perfected love in you. Be bold in his perfected love. Here in the love of Christ, I stand. The second verse says, in Christ alone who took on flesh. Listen, it's the gospel right here. It it was Christmas some weeks ago. Here it is. In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Satisfied. There's nothing left of the wrath of God for those who believe in Christ Jesus. It is completely and fully satisfied. The wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. The third verse says, There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. That's when the church burst out in adoration often. You know that. And as he stands in victory, listen, Jesus is right now standing. It's it's so full of biblical truth, this song. Jesus is standing in victory right now in heaven for us. We don't have to doubt that. We don't have to gain victory for ourselves. He did that for us. As he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. And what is its grip on me? The punishment for my sin. But it's lost. It's lost. Sin lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine. Bought with the precious blood of Christ. Do you see the love of God in that? He is mine. And I am is. And tell me, who can rob us from the end of God? No one. We have boldness. And look at this last verse that is so powerful. No guilt in life. And here our verse. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Not me. Jesus commands my destiny My favorite part, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. How powerful is this song? 
How powerful, how gospel-centered, how biblical is this song? He loved us so much. Be bold in his perfected love in your life. You don't have to fear punishment. Never. Because in Christ we stand. Here in the love of Christ we stand. So yes, as a spirit-filled Christian, we are supposed to be characterized by love. We must be characterized by love. And this love in which you stand will never fail you. Even if you failed him. Amen. Now, with this in mind, the next verse takes its full meaning. And that's the last uh, point of our text this morning. Bestow his provided love. We love because he first loved us. We just saw that. Just singing this song. Seeing the lyrics of this song. Seeing the text in front of us. He loved us so much. And that's why we love. If anyone says, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, whom he has seen cannot love God whom, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And here, John put an emphasis on the love that we must have both for God and the brothers to his readers. Because... Um, Because the secessionists, the people that were creating division in the church at that time, in this particular, excuse me, group, um, the people who tried to bring division uh, in this group, the secessionists, were, uh, in fact, John says they, they are lying. Because they say they love God, but they don't love the brothers. They are full of hatred for the brothers and sisters of the church. And in the Bible, in, the, the, in God's mind, it doesn't work. You cannot say you love God if you don't love the brothers and sisters. It doesn't work this way. You cannot pretend to love God when you don't like his people. It's impossible to love God without loving his wife. It's impossible to say that. I love God, but you know I hate his wife so much. It's impossible to say you love the head, but you hate the body. <laughs> That's crazy. Even in the natural world, we know it's, it's not, you cannot do that. If you come to me after a service saying, Eric, you know what? I love you so much, but your wife, I hate her. I don't think it will work. <laughs> I won't like that at all. And God says it doesn't work. And sadly, we know this kind of people, don't we? There's always some of these people gravitating around every single church. You heard that before from the mouth of someone You know, I love God, but his people, it's, it's his people that I can't stand. You know, I love him, but the church, ah, I don't like them. People that, that, that come with their um, classic sentence, you know, I, I say that to tell you. They always slander other Christian, and they come to you saying, I, I tell that to you to, to tell them to pray for them, kind of camouflage. There's always that kind of people. John, John says it, it, it's not, it, it doesn't work like that. We're supposed to be loving. We're not supposed to be Christian that come to church to be able to, to slander other people and always talk about other people and always hate other people. And I don't know the state of your heart right now. And I know it's difficult. But as Christian, we're not supposed to, to keep track of wrong in our heart. You're not supposed to have hatred towards another Christian. Maybe it's time for you to call someone after a service to talk with someone, to pray and say, God, provide, give me love. I need to change. The Bible says that it's not possible, but verse 19 um, tells us that it, it's clear that we love only because he loved us first. 
We love only because he loved us first. We do not produce love out of ourselves. In our natural being, it is, we, don't, we are not able to produce love out of ourselves. It's not natural in a fallen creature to love. And that's enlightened for, uh, for me, though. Because I know when I became a Christian, I wanted to forgive many people. And I was like, oh, but you know, those people or family sometimes. Yeah, I must love them. I know I must love them. And I was able to say, yeah, I love them, but in my heart was not really the truth. But when the Spirit of God come in you and begin to change you, 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 know, you, you know you need to love. And you want that, and God is doing that and producing that in your heart. Love doesn't come from us. It flows from God through us to others. When we receive such an abundance of love from God, we cannot do other than, than share this love with others. When we think about uh, the love of God for us, think for that for a second. Uh, who can stand and tell me the reason why God loves him or her this morning? I cannot stand in front of you to say, you know what? I was saved by God. But here's the reason. <laughs> and then begin to tell you, because I'm so loving in this way, in this way. No, the Bible tells us that we are not loving creatures. We are not lovable. God didn't love us because we merit his love. He loved us. You know why? Because he chose to love us. He chose to love us. It's as simple as that. We don't know why. The reason is not in us. It's in him. So when we look at other people, how can we keep them from, how can, can we, we keep from loving them? Tell me, what does the people around you can do to you that is worse than what you have done to God. Sin against God is greater than any sin against men and women you can do. In fact, when Jesus talked about um, this story in Matthew 18, verse 21 to 35, he talks about this, uh, this servant that was un unforgiving. He was called a bad servant. His master said to him when he, he come back, because he forgave a great deal to this guy. He gave him his debt and he says, okay, because you ask me, I forgive you. And then this guy go into the street and find someone who owes, who owes him some money. And he beat him, put him into jail and all of this and was not forgiven. Forgiving, I mean. And then Jesus tell when this servant meet with his master, he says, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? When we think about that, how can we not love others when we receive such a love from God? Have you not been forgiven way more than anyone can hurt you? Sin against God is worse than anything a human can do to you. So John says it's a lie to say you love God if you don't love others because it proves that you don't understand you don't understand nothing about the love that God has freely given to you. So listen, we're almost finished. Listen, our great characteristic, characteristic as spirit-filled Christian is not that we fear, but that we love. It's not that we fear the end, but that we love, and that we love God and others. And John Calvin said, it's a false boast when anyone says he loves God, but neglect his image, which is before his eyes. It's not true. You cannot say you love God when you have his image in front of you all day, every day, and you don't love them. 
And Jesus has joined this, this commandment of loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and loving others. He has joined them together and say, those are the two greatest commandments. In, all, in these commandments, all the laws and the prophets are fulfilled. We may not separate what God, what Jesus has joined together. It's, the thing is that it's so intimate. You cannot separate the love for God and the love for others. It's so close to one another. It's so similar. It goes together so much that you cannot have one and not the other. Like being said, it's not easy to accomplish. <laughs> I know that we are not all very easy to love. And there are some people in your life that you find harder to love. And that's it's a real challenge. But that's the whole point. That's the whole point of, the, of what John is saying. He showed us love while we were still sinners. While we didn't merit it. And you don't love other people because they merit your love. But you love other people because Christ has loved you. Love other people to glorify your God. And because love, because God has poured out love on you, you must do it with others. And if you, uh, I'm closing with this, if you um, want just to, to, to do that test with your own heart and to see if you are really a loving person, you can take that famous passage in the scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, verse uh, 4 to 7, when it says that love is patient and kind, love does not envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it does, it, it, it's not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When you look at the description like that, if you're like me, you say, oh my, I'm not there yet. <laughs> but is your heart desiring to live in that truth? When you, you look at that passage, is your heart desiring, saying, I want to be like that. I'm not like that yet, I, uh, but I'm, I'm growing in these things. I'm growing in these things. And um, William Morgan said this about this passage. He said that this description of biblical love showed that the particular expressions of love vary to meet the needs of the context. What he means is that, uh, for example, in the context of frustrating circumstances and people, love appears as patience. In the context of the successes of others, love does not allow envy but rejoices with those who rejoice. In the context of our own successes, love restrains us from self-promotion and leads to humility. In the context of someone's sins against us, love appears as forgiveness and not keeping track of wrongs. So listen to this. Sometimes the people we love receive it. They appreciate it. They return it. And, and, and sometimes they, either, they even pass it to others. But sometimes uh, they don't understand the love we are giving them. They misunderstand our love. They reject it and even despise it. But whether or not it is received, we are called by God to love others. We are called by God to love like he loved us. So let's bestow his provided love on other people. So this morning, do you pass the test of the healthy Christian abiding in God? Can you look at that and say, Father, help me. We need the Holy Spirit to confirm the word of God inside of us. But look at this and ask yourself, Father, if I'm not like that, look at my heart. And I think we can all raise our hand and say, I'm not there yet. If you ask the people around me to describe me in one word, will they say, love? I'm not sure. But can we pray and say, God, please conform me to what you call me to be in your word. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, once again, we are coming weak. We see uh, your word and we uh, hear your truth. And we see what a Christian that is abiding in you is supposed to look like. We see that a spirit-filled Christian is supposed to be characterized by love. Father, help us. Help us, Father. We want to be more like Jesus Christ. And this morning, I just pray that for many people in this place, maybe, uh, or maybe one that you bring to saving faith, that didn't know your love before this morning, but today that, that the Holy Spirit just confirm in their heart that you are the Savior of the, the world, that you are their God, that you love them so much at the point of sending your own son to die in her or his place. Father, I pray that you will bring them to saving faith. And I pray for many Christians in this place that you will bring them to uh, boldness in you, confidence uh, concerning the judgment and the punishment that we don't have anything to fear because you loved us and this love will never fail and we will be with you one day celebrating your great love for us. Please give boldness in this place. We love you, Father. I pray that the, this church, Harvest Ottawa, will be marked and characterized by love, that people that will come in here for the first time will be able to say, this is a loving church. I felt love in this place. I know it's a family. It's more than just people coming in one place and receiving their food for the week and then leaving after that. But you will create a community of loving believers that are encouraging one another to love, to love God and to love others and to bless this region in which they are. Father, thank you for the small groups that are beginning soon. I pray that it will be filled with love filled with loving Christians that will be so invested in the love of each other that we will see your Christian uh, growing in this place. People just being discipled week after week in the love of God. We need you, and we know we cannot do anything of that without your Spirit. So please fill us with your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. We love you, Lord. Amen.